This podcast is part of the OIW Podcasting Network. Welcome back to Gilme Talks. This is Gil- Gilme again. And this week's guest, I have George Mackay from Straight Talk Wrestling, MLW Rewind, and one of my boys from the OIW Podcast Network on the show. And this week, we're going a little different. We talk movies. <laughs> we run down Quentin Tarantino's entire catalog from writing, producing, directing, everything. Because you know what? He is one of our favorite directors and I just love his love his stuff and how often do you get to sit down and talk movies with a guy who has a degree in film he knows movies he loves movies and it is one of those things that everybody truly enjoys because it's just movies are awesome they're fun to watch and they're a great artistic medium and and it gave me an an excuse to talk talk to a, a buddy of mine so go follow him on all of his uh, socials. We mention him on the on the uh, on the show, and we have a really fun time. And just a couple things, guys. Go check out Rob Day Five Nine for any graphic design needs, guys, because he is extremely talented and very easy to work with. And he does the majority of 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 my my. He did the talking the talking with Tom Tom A logo and. I just really enjoy working work working with this guy. He's so easy to to work with. You pretty much say, "Hey, I need this," and he gets it. He gets it done, which is really really cool. Thanks thanks to George for coming on, guys, and we'll enjoy the show. Good morning, good evening, good night. How is everybody doing out there? This is going to be a fun show, guys, because I have the one and only George Mackay from Straight Talk Wrestling on the show. And also MLW Rewind, member of the Genres Network, member of the OIW Podcast Network. And basically, if you do not have this man on your network, he is the one of the biggest hustlers, one of my inspirations for keeping my own ass going on the podcast. He is my, well, my buddy, George. And a few things about George that you probably don't know because he never toots his own horn, but I certainly will. He went to Toronto Film School. He has a film and television certificate with honors. This boy is smart and actually knows his shit. He has put out, he has made an, his own movie before. He, and I am lucky enough to call this man a close personal friend. Hey, George, how's the, how's the day going, buddy? Wow, how can I live up to that intro? There's a lot in there that I didn't uh, expect you to know about, but hey, you do. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm great, man. How are you? Glad to be Hi. here. Thank you for having me back. Hey, Anytime you are welcome on Gilme Talks because you know what, my show's tagline is I talk to interesting people and have a fun time while while we're while we're doing it. You're an an interesting fellow, and we shoot the shit, make make fun of each other, and have it have have it fun. Yeah, I make fun of everybody. I'm an equal oh, yeah. opportunity. Make fun of her. Oh, good. <laughs> I am right. That is the title of the episode now. Right, right, right there. The- <laughs> I am an equal opportunity make fun of her. Yep. So uh, the reason I had George on, he is a big fan of film. And if you guys have listened to to the podcast be, who before, I've, I've had actors, directors, uh, professional zombie actors, which was really cool, cool on the show. Uh, if you want to go back in, in the archives, guys, check those out because that John Miglior episode was fan, fantastic. And not to toot my own horn, but hey, my show. <laughs> but the reason I got George on, we are both big fans of Quentin Tarantino, and we're just gonna shoot the shit for like like an hour talking about his uh, films. All right. So first up here, Reservoir Dogs from 1992. Fuck, I'm feeling old now. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Reservoir Reservoir Dogs. And I cannot say that right, and I'm driving George crazy. Please say it. Reservoir dogs. Thank you. The accent kicks in. Um, 
It's about a mob boss who hires six criminals in order to get his hands on some diamonds. They are given false names. That's so no one is aware of the other one's true identity, which one of the coolest film tropes I've ever heard of. However, the moment they arrive at the heist, heist site, the police do too, and the group has to disperse. At the previous set rendezvous point, they reassemble, reassemble and start to suspect that one of them is, is involved with the police. This is Tarantino's first direction, directorial feature, and it's considered to be a classic and a cult movie among the fans and independent films. So first thing, George, what do you think about Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir Dogs was like it for me. I was nine years old. My parents rented it. I wasn't allowed to watch it. So like any smart-witted nine-year-old, it was on a Sunday night. The next day, I completely fake sick to school. Oh, I can't make it. The thermometer and the fucking heat pad made sure that the temperature was uh, high, but not high enough to send me to the hospital, like no 130-degree temperatures. Yep. Um, stayed home. Uh, everybody left. Uh, like I said, uh, it was a different time period. So leaving a nine-year-old at home back in the 90s was not a taboo thing. Now, you'd probably be considered a bad parent, but back then, not so much. Yep. Uh, as soon as everybody left, I jumped out of my bed, went downstairs, grabbed the big old Blockbuster popcorn yellow tub, filled that up with Captain Crunch, sat in front of the TV, watched it, rewound it. Yes, there was such a thing as rewinding. It wasn't just replay oh, yeah. the DVD. And then watched it again. Watched it about three and a half times before everybody got back home around five o'clock. So from nine to five, that was the only thing on the TV. Me, my dog, Captain Crunch, and that's it. I think I only paused it twice to go to the bathroom. That was oh, it. Yeah. Now... Would you say this is one of his his best films, medium films, or one of his worst? Because it is his uh, first, so. Uh, I would say that for a first effort, it was probably the strongest like introduction to a filmmaker I had ever seen. So for me, I put it up there as one of his strongest pieces of work. It's, it's not his best film, but it's definitely up there. Uh, everybody has their different opinions on which Tarantino film is the best. But this one for me was the first time I was introduced to non-linear storytelling. So if anybody doesn't know, a regular film is, is, is told in linear storytelling. That's one straight line. But this film was not. It was told from the beginning to the middle to the end, back to the beginning, back to the middle, back to the end. So non-linear jumps all over the place. And um, the cool thing about this movie was is that you never saw the heist. You never saw what took place. You only heard certain points of it. Mr. Blonde went off the rails. We saw when Mr. Orange gets shot in the stomach and he's bleeding like a stuck pig and Mr. White's got to drive him in the car with the old lady. And after Mr. Orange shot the old lady and you get to see how every character that doesn't make it to the warehouse dies. Um, Mr. Brown, Mr. Blue, you get to see how they both die. Uh, Mr. Green, so forth and so on. And then, you know, ends up with just Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Orange and Mr. White in the, the thing. And the only people whose names you really know are uh the son and the father whose names are escaping me now because it's been a while since i've seen yeah, it same but um yeah it was the first time that i ever experienced a movie that wasn't told for me to be and that's i think what intrigued me the most and that's what made me fall in love with film after that day i would carry around my parents old uh like uh v8 or v whatever the fuck was called hi-fi 8 camera i can't remember yep. but it was like a little bit smaller than a beta the tape but a little bit bigger a little bit smaller than a vhs but a little bit bigger than a beta and then they came out with the mini as tapes and all that kind of stuff and now everything's just done digitally but um yeah it was the first time that i i guess you could say that's the moment where i fell in love with making movies and i wanted to tell stories i would write my scripts when i was a kid and they were all bad uh, and they were all reservoir dogs just told 30 different ways Okay, this time we're going to be a, a heist group of guys, but we're not going to be colors. We're going to be numbers. So you're going to be Mr. One, Mr. Two, Mr. Three. And everybody's like, aren't you just doing that same movie that you keep talking about? No, I'm doing my version of the same movie that I keep talking about. Jerk. Yep. Stupid kid. Oh, yeah. You're not getting a pudding snack now. Like that, <laughs> that's the way it was for me. And then um, it just progressed. Like as I got older, he got older, he evolved. So when Pulp Fiction came out in 95 or 94, I think it was, um, I was like 12 so at that time my parents didn't give a fuck by that time i'd watch the oh, godfather yeah. scarface so watching pulp fiction was not a taboo subject up until the end when the one dude's banging the other dude in the warehouse i looked at my mom and dad like what's that about and my mom and dad were like this is hard to explain but there are men who like men and men who like women and men who like men do that i was like okay uh it's cool 
I don't know if yep. that's for me, but that's cool. Um, and uh, that's kind of the way it was explained. But again, it was the 90s. So, you know, oh, yeah. I know it's going to be some, there's going to be a snowflake that's going to listen to this and get super sensitive. It was the 90s. It so was the way a different it was time, guys. Exactly. The way like, it was explained to me was yeah. completely normal in the 90s. There yeah. are men who like men. There, I Personally, I got explained that scene a lot rougher than <laughs> what you did. Like, uh, because I, I asked the same questions and my dad love him, love him to death, but he used words that we do not use today. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and it was, it was, I hate to say it. It was acceptable at that time. Right. It, time. it, it was, but yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then like Pulp Fiction was again, another story that blew my mind because you're seeing not just one story. Now you're oh, yeah. seeing two or three or four different stories all colliding towards each other. And um, again, the scene that sticks out to my mind with that movie is uh, for me, it's not the end scene surprisingly it may be, but it's actually uh, the scene where Uma Thurman overdoses and oh, John yeah. Travolta yeah. drives to his drug dealer's house <laughs> looking for the adrenaline shot. And he's like, yep. where, where's babe, where's my little black medical book? What little fucking black medical, my little fucking black medical book. And he's just freaking out. And then he goes to the, the bridge and he gets adrenaline shot. He's like, all right, takes the Sharpie. He's like, you got to just, you got to, you got to jab it. Yep. And Travolta's like, what do you mean? He's like, stab, you got to stab it right through the chest. Yep. Right. And then she wakes up and she's in this giant, big fucking needle is just sticking out of her. And that was the scene that resonated with me. But everything, I mean, the list, I could talk Tarantino all day. This may go past an hour, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah, go. Sorry, I, I cut you off by. Oh, man, it's all bringing good. Pulp Fiction into it. Actually, so. I was going to bring Pulp Fiction up next anyway. So it is probably my Reservoir Dogs for me has a soft spot because it was the first time I seen uh, ultra violence in a in a movie. Like I was a horror movie kid. Like I grew up watching Freddy and Jason and that's over the top top gore. But in Reservoir Dogs, when he takes the guy ear, guy's ear off, that actor who played that was absolutely amazing. It wasn't like, because he was mad because my ear is fucking gone. It's like, I don't look normal anymore. And it's just like, yeah, that was the scene. And that's how I, it was so different than everything I've seen. It wasn't the horror movie screams or the, the, I, I wish I could remember that uh, police off, off the the actor's name, but I think he did amazing in that scene. Nah. And it was just, All he yeah. says is, I'm Nash. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great scene. And that, uh, that was, uh, I, I probably agree with you. It was the same time I got experienced that real realistic ultraviolence. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it wasn't just, you know, Freddie cut knives with hands into a, a person's skin. You could totally tell the skin was fake and that the blood yeah. was, fake. this was legitimate. And th- I think this was, uh, the shock factor for me was this was a relatively unknown guy who at yeah. the time I didn't know much, but all I knew was that he used to work at a blockbuster and he was the reround guy. That's all I knew. I didn't know right. anything else about him. I didn't know that he had actually trained and actually studied in these arts and that, and how he got the script to Harvey Keitel. I never knew any of that, but I, I knew it later on when I did projects in school and stuff like that. And um, what, what was surprising for me is this was a relatively unknown director, a relatively unknown producer in Lawrence Bender at the time. Yeah. And they're literally just telling Hollywood, we're not, it's no longer conventional anymore. We're not going to do the safe movie anymore. We are now going to show gritty, raw, and uh, it's kind of almost a slap in the face, I think, to Tarantino over the career that he's had, um, that he hasn't won an Oscar for directing. Uh, yeah, he's won it for screenplays. Yeah, uh, he won it for Pulp Fiction, for sure. And um, he's been nominated a bunch of times, was nominated mm-hmm. for Django, uh, was oh, nominated yeah. nominated again for, um, uh, what was the last one there? Was nominated uh, for Once a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, sorry, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Yeah, because Hateful Eight was, uh, eh, we'll get into that (laughs) later. But um, yeah, Yeah. he's been nominated so many times and his actors have won. His actors have gotten exponential Mm -hmm. careers and everybody makes fun of him. Like, oh, he locks himself in a hotel room with 18 balls of cocaine and three Asian hookers. No, he doesn't. He goes up to his cottage in fucking like South Dakota or some shit and he isolates himself and he just smokes cigarettes and writes and drinks fucking whiskey, I think it is, or scotch, whatever he's into. But yeah. Ultraviolence, the, the fact that it was real and it was raw and it was gritty, that's what made it sexy. 
and yeah. made it sexy in like the coolest way possible. Oh yeah. And now to Pulp Fiction. If you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, guys, A, what is the matter with you? It's one of the best movies I've personally have seen. It 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 is. I think it's probably one of my all-time all-time favorites. Uh, it, it even said, said, says here, the film is considered to be Tarantino's mas- masterpiece. And it just, but that's what they say. Personally, I think uh, Django was really, really good. This girl, Jackie Brown, really, really good. Kill Bill, one and two. I got to stop you there because Jackie Brown was not not a personal favorite for me. I loved Pam Greer. And I love the story oh, yeah. she told, and I love Samuel Jackson, Robert De Niro, uh, um, Michael Keaton. You know, it was cool to see Batman in a oh yeah Tarantino film. But I find the story of Jackie Brown to be eh, so so, and it, it took a long time to get from A to B. Uh, do I own Jackie Brown? Yeah, yeah, like five different DVDs, the Quentin Tarantino box set, whole nine yards. But oh, yeah. um, it, I don't think it to be his defining or one of his one of his strongest pictures. I actually put that more towards the mid. So okay. Reservoir Dogs would definitely be the higher end. Still mm-hmm. not my personal favorites, yeah. um, but definitely the higher end. Reservoir Dogs is probably, I would say, is probably my personal favorite. But in my opinion, his greatest work of all time is still much further down the list. But uh, Jackie Brown, I definitely put that if we're going to uh, grade. I put that in the mid. I don't put that in the bottom. I don't put it in the top. I just put it mid-level. It was okay for me. See, for me, when Jackie Brown came out, I was 17. And I think I haven't seen it in a long time. Like, a long time. Like, I, I, I saw Jackie Brown in theaters. Like, way back, way, way back when. And What's a movie theater? I haven't seen one of those oh, fuck, in a fucking half. Yeah, I saw people talking about going to see Mortal Kombat in the uh, States, and I'm like, I miss movies. <laughs> I like yep. that was my me and me and Catherine's thing. We would go see a movie every two weeks. Yeah, my wife just, and I as well. Same thing. Yeah, just take like two hours, be a be a be a couple, and it didn't matter what the movie was, whether it's a horror or a family film. We just went out to be together because that's always been our 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 thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely and jackie brown was good but yeah good gonna move on and there was a long time long time between jackie brown and then kill bill volume one and two yes sir now i want you to say your your opinion on these movies because i have heard of the gamut from these are trash to these are amazing to these are over to over, over overdone over-hyped. for for over-hyped. over overhyped there we go that's that's the that's the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. but i'm a kung fu fan so i enjoyed it for what it was mm-hmm. and yeah seeing uh and uma thurman in these movies killed it i think she she played the bride wonderfully oh but, absolutely oh yeah Absolutely. Um, I, uh, these, these for me are my, uh, my definition of his masterpieces. Uh, these, and also, I don't know if we're going to talk about the films that he's written and or starred in, but um, uh, there was one that he wrote and starred in, but Robert Rodriguez directed, which is probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I don't know if we're going to talk about that, but that's from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. But um, uh, when it comes to Kill Bills, I, I, the people who say that they are trash are the people who are uneducated swine. And I don't care what anybody says. If I've heard somebody, tweet me. If you're upset with what I've said on the show just now, hit me up on Instagram. I'll give you all the middle finger emoji. There you the go. Fact, the fact remains is that these two movies uh, stand the test of time. They were actually supposed to be combined as one. So if you think about it, um, when Kill Bill 1 is all very Japanese, heavily Kung Flu and Japanese style influenced, um, then it, it, it transitions into a little bit of the Japanese, but more so Spaghetti Western. Yeah. And to, to literally bridge the gamut to go from Japanese influence to American-style Japanese influence to uh, Westerns to Spaghetti Westerns. To literally do the rainbow gamut of subgenre and put it all together in, in two films, how can you not be impressed with a story that was told the way it was told? He starts the movie off with a killer fight scene and makes Vivica A. Fox look 
completely and utterly badass. Then he takes a person like Uma Thurman, who's 100 pounds dripping wet, take away her hair, she's 80 pounds. And he makes her look to be like the sexiest killer in the world. Oh, and yeah. uh, you never see the, the main guy, the whole movie that's about Bill. You don't see his face, even though you know it's David Carradine. Yeah. He never shows you his face until the second part of the movie. So in, until the second, which again, it was supposed to be combined as one. So the second half of the movie, now we've reached our arc and we're, we're going to the rest of it. Uh, he finally shows you who you're up against, who she's up against. And he does it and he pays respect to every era. He pays respects to the 50s, the 60s, the 70s with the, the, the fight in the House of Blue Leaves. I just showed my 11-year-old daughter, Kill Bill Volume 1, uh, literally a couple days ago. And awesome. to see her face the way my face was at like 20 years old when the movie came out uh, blows my mind. Um, my wife and I went to see that movie together. Uh, and again, it's, it's literally two of the, the, the best artworks of all time. It'll, it'll stand the test of time. And the funny thing about Tarantino movies, everyone has an opinion and that's fine. And yes, yeah. maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a huge Tarantino Mark, but there are Same. probably, you probably have, 30 or 40% of your listeners are AEW marks and they think AEW is gold. Every, every match is the same match. Spear, power slam, uh, splash dive off the top into a crowd of people waiting to catch somebody. Uh, anybody who's not a wrestling fan, all I do is, oh, AEW, AEW. Okay, awesome. There's way more out there, by the way. There's oh, a yeah. lot of other shit out there. Um, but it, it, with when it comes to Tarantino, everyone's got an opinion, and that's fine. And I'm not saying my opinion is right or wrong, but all my opinion is from an, uh, is from an educated a film guy. I went, I studied. When, when I was in school, these movies came out. We actually studied them. I saw a screening of the movie through the Toronto Film School because the head of the program at the time was uh, like a cousin or something of Lawrence Bender. We got to see Kill Bill Volume 1 before anybody else did. And then I went with my wife to see it in the theater. We got to see the whole movie uncut together. And we got to study it. We had to write reports on it and, and like detailed and shit like that. So uh, I studied these two movies to like no avail. And you to say that they're trash or they're overhyped, Whoever says that, do yourself a favor, pull an old yeller, go behind a woodshed, take a shotgun and end your misery because you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Personally, my my experience with Kill Bill Volume Mid, Volume 1 and India 2. I didn't watch Volume 1 in theater mm-hmm. because I wanted to wait until the DVD came out and watch it before Volume 2. So I watched, I timed it out. We watched, we went to the, we watched Kill Bill Volume 1 got i think we walked about 45 minutes to the the theater and then we sat down watched volume volume two and then we talked about it for the next three 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 days because it was that good mm-hmm. and i'm i'm happy i i didn't go see volume two and then have to wait like nine months a year between releasing them both because the the production company who made these movies wanted didn't want to release like a three hour three and a half hour hour film and then they put justice league the snyder's cut out for four hours long which was okay but anyway back to a taran 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 taranatino yeah it just it amazes me now that they put out a four hour superhero film where when they couldn't put kill bill out like the hottest director at that time couldn't get his own film out the way he wanted. It just blows, blows my mind how everything's changed since. But yeah, but it was also too. It was uh, it wasn't so much that it was a way to make money. Like the yeah. Harry Potters, the Harry Potters were all two and a half hours long, but then you get to the final one and it's like, oh, it's three hours and twenty seven minutes. Oh, okay, hmm. we can, we could do one hundred and forty. We can do an hour and forty minutes put to be continued and then make even more money and do that so really in actuality it oh, yeah. wasn't just that but it was a chance to make money and if you go through the record books both of these movies made a shit ton of money uh i believe the production of the whole f- budget for both films was around the 200 million mark it was supposed to be 150 but tarantino went way over uh all oh, yeah, the money was made back on the first film so by the time they got to the second film it was just extra gravy Oh yeah, um, and and that's that's what you want to do. And at the end of the day, movies is a business, and it's about making money. And I believe making it. I appreciated the fact that it was two volumes because that means I get to see more. Yeah, and I I didn't have to wait. I had, like I said, I had the screener copy from my school when I watched it at home because teacher was stupid enough to give each of us that you could take it home for one night and watch it. When I did, I just burned it, and I had it. 
I had it for oh, a very yeah. long time until the DVD came out, but I always buy Tarantino's movies. Always oh, yeah. support, always support him, good or bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one was uh, that one was very very cool for me. That one I rank up there as his masterpiece because rightfully so. And if there ever is a Kill Bill Volume Three, which they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. uh, where um, the daughter of uh, Renita Green, aka Vivica Fox, aka Copperhead, that little girl is older now, and she's now going after the bride. AKA Black Mama, AKA You're supposed to now when you edit this, make sure you beep that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you have to keep beeping. Yep. So that'll be three times now going four that you have to beep. beep and I certainly will because editing's fun, man. Uh <laughs> next next one, because honestly, we can just talk about Kill Bill itself for Very hours. Like hours. Yeah. And me and you can definitely Dev, dev, definitely do it. Death Proof, 2007. Yep. Right at the bottom of the scale for me. Uh, I, I didn't like that they kept met mentioning the car from Vanishing, the 1967 from Vanishing. Vanishing? You know, the, the white, the car from Vanishing? Yeah. yeah. We fucking get it. It's a car from Vanishing. I get it. Totally get it. This was more a movie for his stunt double to get a little time in front of the screen. And it was it was fun for what it was. Again, it was supposed to pay homage to an era of lost film, grindhouse film. Yeah. Um, which again is is like ultra violent, over the top horror films. If anybody's watched Grindhouse, they know there's a whole genre on iTunes uh, all about Grindhouse, all those shitty movies from the sixties and the seventies, and they're all bad. They're all very, oh, they're and, horrible. But personally, I love them. I, I, love I do them. too. I, I have oh. Reanimator. I have Reanimator oh, yeah. and Reanimator. I have both. Like those are yeah. in the genre, the subgenre there for sure. But uh, this is uh, this is not his strongest effort. This was rushed. The writing, mm-hmm. which he's so spot on with his monologues, was rushed. And it, Kurt Russell, as awesome as Kurt Russell is, this was not his strongest performance either. I think he was just in awe of being in a Tarantino film, more in awe of trying to make it work. And when you have to, when you have to sit there and you're finding reasons to pause the movie, it's never good. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, though, Planet Terror, uh, Robert Rodriguez's. Yes. Uh, one yeah. i did dig that i enjoyed that one for what it was oh yeah but death oh, proof yeah. was not uh his strongest effort at all and i don't know what kurt russell was doing the entire in the entire movie but he <laughs> i think he thought he was in a western because he was doing that western squint thing and it just drove me nuts the entire movie like maybe it's maybe it is just kurt russell's face i don't know but it seemed like he 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 was missing his glasses the entire movie and that's just what I was thinking. You see it now, don't don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. I see it now. Did you hate my scars? Yeah. Did you pass me my bifocals? Yeah. There yeah, I go. see it. I yeah. see it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're 100. It right was it was driving me nuts the entire film. It took me right out, and I'm like, <laughs> and yeah, that's that's my 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 uh, my take on it that and inglorious bastards right, let's move on past that yep. garbage hey everyone this is adam hayes host of schwa wars podcast i've been involved in independent wrestling here in ontario since 2006 and i can't think of a better way of entertaining the masses right now than with this podcast we don't only cover pro wrestling but we cover everything pop culture as well as a variety of fun and unique show concepts that make us different from the rest. We dispute, debate, discuss everything with a variety of guests as we rank, review, and rave about all things pop culture from the past and the present. So if you got a spare a minute, or several, why not check us out today by going to anchor.fm slash schwa wars podcast. That's anchor.fm slash schwa, S-H-W-A, wars podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wars. So don't wait and check us out today. Oh, Inglorious inglorious Bastards. Oh, our introduction to like the greatest villain of all time. Uh, hands down, everything that um, oh, the actor's escaping my mind too and I love him to death. Uh, Brad Pitt, Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the villain. The guy who played oh, the Nazi. No uh not coming up here they're just giving me brad pitt diane kruger he was a django too he's phenomenal and he's he's won oscars oh, yeah. both, both times um oh, christoph waltz yeah christopher yeah christoph waltz thank yeah. you um yes everything from the over the top pipe in the beginning to shooting the floorboards in the beginning 
Uh, anybody that hasn't seen this movie, that's your problem. But this, yeah. this, so for me, right now, the top tier movies are uh, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, because I put them together. Yep. Uh, then Inglorious Bastards. Then um, Reservoir Dogs. Then Pulp Fiction. Those are in the top tier for me. Uh, right. In no particular order. Sometimes, depending on the mood I'm in, Reservoir Dogs does jump to the front just because it was just so spectacular for me. Um, but Inglorious Bastards was everything. Uh, Timmy O'Toole takes it right out of the fuck. Like, I just, <laughs> I loved everything about that movie. And I think it's just my best work. And he cut, like, I, I loved everything about it. Oh, yeah. um, the theater, the way it was explained, uh, Hitler, all of it, the whole yep. nine yards. I, it was so over the top. Uh, again, paying homage to the news films of the 40, taking oh, yeah. all the garbage that they were feeding you, that anti-Nazi bullshit that they were feeding you uh, in the thing like, this is what Hitler said today. Yeah, Hitler was a horrible human being. And World War II was justified, absolutely. But a lot of the stuff that the, that American propaganda, over-the-top, newsreel stuff before movies back in the 40s and 50s, that's what he was kind of paying homage to. And I love how he was totally American-prided with it. And he went all out with it. And he killed it. And Brad Pitt killed it in his movie. Oh, yeah. That, this is probably my favorite Brad, Brad Pitt acting performance, hands down. Would agree. And it just was... And I am a Brad Pitt fan. And, but this movie, I think, brought it to another level. And this is what he, in years gone by, when people like, oh, did you ever watch this movie by Marlon Brando? Did you ever watch this name by Humphrey Bogart? Like the classic names, Brad Pitt is going to be, going to be a classic name. He's been an actor for 30, 35 years, years now. I think this movie is going to be his pinnacle. Because he hasn't done anything better since. And I don't think he's done anything better coming up to this film. Uh, I would put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his performance in that, right up par with Inglorious Bastards. But uh, for me, Brad Pitt, special movie that holds a place in my heart for him is Seven. What's in the box? Oh, yeah. What's in the box? Seven, seven, seven's fun. Yeah, but absolutely. For me, this is the pinnacle Brad, Brad Pitt acting. Fair enough. 100. 100. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Okay. Oh, yeah. And now... Django Unchained. He was Again, robbed, robbed, was robbed by for. He should have won the Oscar for this film. Mm -hmm. He should have. Uh, it was so good. It was like I, I, I don't even want to describe this movie because it's so good to people from beginning to end. Like normally, I pause a film, go to the bathroom, check my phone. If I'm putting this on, I got to make sure I'm ready to watch the entire thing. <laughs> It just absolutely. I, and again, I put this up there with the uh, Revenant for Leonardo DiCaprio in terms of acting roles. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the passion in the sequence when he actually literally cuts his hand on the glass, finishes the scene like a gangster, then leaves the set to go get, I think it was 25 or 30 stitches stitched up into this whole part of his hand. Yep. Um, what can you say about this? The, the Academy is a bunch of idiots. idiots. They've robbed people before uh, the rightful people yeah. have not won. And that's why nobody tunes into the Oscars anymore or the Grammys or anything like that, because they continue to get it wrong. And this was one time where they got it completely wrong. A lot of the time the Oscars have got it right. Yeah. I thought they got it completely wrong with Parasite last year or two yeah. years ago. Um, but then I watched Parasite and I actually posted on my Facebook, you know, back and actually look at the post. I said, I just watched Parasite. I understand everything. So I actually retracted bullshit. Tarantino oh, yeah. didn't get robbed. Uh, Parasite should have won. It was fucking phenomenal. I actually ended up buying that. It's one of my favorite films of all time now. Um, but um, yeah, I also thought he was robbed for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But again, they got it right that time because Parasite won. At least nobody else won. Um, and yeah, this is this definitely ranks up high for me. Again, I put it in the top tier. That's going to round out my top tier. Everything else is going to be pretty much mid-card or below. Uh, but I will put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood right between that mid-card to top tier. But Django was phenomenal. I mean, Jamie Foxx oh, was yeah. great. Christoph Waltz, again, fantastic. Uh, what can you say? It's an all-around yeah. great, great fucking movie. Oh, great movie. and it was... it. Honestly, when I first heard Jamie Foxx was coming to a Tarantino film, before Jang, Django came out, I'm like... What the hell are they doing putting Jamie Foxx in a in and I I ate my words. It just I didn't think he would be a fantastic actor or this or that. It's like when I ate but, my words when Heath Ledger was the Joker. I was like, this is fucking horrible. And then it came out and I was like, holy shit, I was wrong. Yep. Oh yeah, wrong. same. I'm like, wait, the guy from the night movie? 
that's who they got as the Joker. Uh, uh, all right, I guess. The guy and from then, 10 Things I Hate About You, bro. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next one, The Hateful Eight. Ah. Let me just do uh, do 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 the little spiel spiel about the movie. Okay. About uh, a bounty hunter is on his way to the town of Red Rock, escorting a woman prisoner charged for murder. They are begrudgingly joined on the journey by another bounty hunter and soon to be a toy, pound, uh, appointed town sheriff, trying to escape the winter blizzard. The harsh weather conditions will force them to stop and look for shelter at a stagecoach lodge already occupied by another group of stagecoach riders. The old Civil War time amenities, amenities are rekindled and the survival of each character is in question. Great premise. Did not de- did not really de- deliver on it, I think. Opinion? It's internet, <laughs> right? Who, who the fuck knows? <laughs> All right. yeah, but I, I know the plot of the movie pretty well. I know the plot of the movie pretty well. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, 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 it was for what it was. It was a Civil War wartime again epic paying homage to that time period in history uh was it his best work dialogue wise i will say it's up there because some of the dialogue was pretty fantastically snazzy and he found a way to make these monologues pop for whoever was a particular actor that he had in his head because as we know when he's writing the parts he writes them for specific actors and if the actor can't fill the part then that part is cut uh we've experienced that before so um, he is the type of person who literally can shape a movie based off of who he sees playing that role. Uh, is it his weakest film? I would put it up there as one of his not strongest directorial wise, but it also was again, paying homage to an Alfred Hitchcock film. And what I mean by that is set in one particular setting, like rear window. All we ever saw was the buildings in between uh, rope all shot continuously in one location, all in one shot. Uh, Bates Motel, uh, Psycho, done again, one location. Bird, done in the house. For the most part, we see little sprinkles of the town, but done in that. So paying homage to like an Alfred Hitchcock style film where you yeah. let the characters play within the scene and play within the surrounding areas. So um, dialogue wise, I will say it's actually one of his strongest gross as a writer, in my opinion, but not his strongest directorial. He tried some cool shit and he had cool ideas. Just the consistent overuse much like he did in death proof was what fell flat for me uh samuel jackson's big black dick speech uh really 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 just over the top with emphasizing on that over and over and over again so um i would put it in the um mid card to lower tier uh but definitely not his worst film in my opinion his worst film we already passed it yeah. which was death proof but hateful Eight, i'll put it in the mid card or with the jackie brown i don't love it i don't hate it i'm indifferent to it Oh, yeah. And it's if I was to come across it on uh, TV, I would definitely stop, stop, watch it. Mm-hmm. But I no longer have a cable, so I can't really do that no more. Uh, I kind of miss the cable. <laughs> uh, uh, cable has its drawbacks. We I live in a townhouse condo, so cables kind of lumped into our condo fees. So whether we use it, we, we don't. We still pay for it. We oh, use yeah. it. Um, I used to watch it religiously for basketball games, but I'll be honest, since the podcast has literally carried into succession, I haven't watched the Raptors at all this season. And yeah. from what I've caught up on Sports Center, they're nothing to write home about, anyways. Mm, so, no. um, and, no. so, and I've been watching more and more basketball lately. Like, ever since the Raptors won, I've been paying attention, which is, oh, I'm not a bandwagoner. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. I will definitely ad, ad admit it. I'm like, oh, they're actually winning. Oh, pay attention. Okay. I I have been a faithful uh, for a very long time. This season, I have not been a faithful. I fell off. But I was there through it all, through the basement years, through the the, oh, yeah. the growing pain years, through trying to develop who the franchise was years. I was there for it all. I am oh, a yeah. faithful. Uh, bandwagon hoppers are horrible people, Justin. You're a horrible oh. person. Well, does it actually matter that I had a Stoudemire jersey way back, way back when? No, because you only started paying attention when they <laughs> won the fucking championship. So no, it doesn't oh, yeah. matter. I know. I know. It doesn't matter. Hey, no. I'm but also I have trouble sitting and watching anything for three hours. So sports really isn't my huge thing. Shot that's oh, and that's kind of a kind of a little shot at Monday Night Raw, but that's not that's not uh, this uh, this show. 
Now, They're always listening, yeah. Justin. Oh, always God, listening. I know. I know. And on my show, Talking talking with Tom, yeah, we we kind of might have might not be the nicest to uh the wwe there but <laughs> horrible come on horrible. man somebody got I fucking, fucking slime they got I Nickelodeon have interviewed slime. some of their roster i love the wwe i will not say a bad thing about them because okay. i'm trying to get more in with some of their rosters so they're great okay George loved loves the the WWE guys. Me, I'm indifferent at the time. But I must I say, love, I don't Wrestle- love the WWE guys. I will say no. I, I love the the polished product. And WrestleMania this year was a lot of fun because oh yeah, I forgot about COVID because there yep. were people in the audience. And I people could say, well, you can forget about COVID every Wednesday. AEW for me is a product that is hard to watch. Um, just because I have no idea where a lot of the storylines are going. Um, for no, me, I enjoy. I enjoy uh, evolution and I enjoy um, dark because that's indie talent getting a time to shine. And I think the matches are a lot more better because they're hungrier. Um, and it's been, I've interviewed a lot of the dark roster and I see oh, a yeah. lot of potential to what AEW could be once we get through bringing in all these legends right now, AEW dynamite for me or AEW in general, other than the pay-per-views, which I do love and watch AEW is WCW 2.0. They're bringing in legends to work with the younger talent. I get why they're doing what they're doing, but I think they're overshadowing the legends, uh, letting them kind of take the spotlight from you. You have so much talent trying to get into your roster, but you keep pushing them down by bringing these older guys in. And again, I get it. Paul Wright was brought in to work with the big men. Uh, Sting was brought in to work with the character developments like the Darby Allen to make them Mm -hmm. stronger. I get all that. I get the A to B, but for what I'm sick and tired of is every time I hear Tony Khan on a podcast, him saying, Oh, well, without this, without me, this idea would have never happened. Dude, I get it. You're a wrestling fan and you have a great mind for the business. And some of the stories that you built really worked out well, but some of them were shit. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're not the greatest booker in wrestling of all time. Some of the strongest bookers I've ever seen are indie bookers. Um, We have a lot of strong bookers here in Ontario. Uh, George from Destiny Wrestling, Channing Decker from Greektown. Uh, You got uh, Sean from Barry Wrestling. Um, You got Chad. Chad, you got Ethan Page from... Uh, you got Ben Ortman's over at uh, Crossbody. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great bookers, and I, I, I'm, if I forgot any promotion, I apologize. AC and Dave from Hamilton. Oh God, yeah. Entertainment. Um, Anthony Corelli, when he was running Battle Arts, uh, he booked some amazing matches. Yeah, amazing he did. Matches. So booking the indie, there's a lot of strong indie bookers that don't get a fair shake, and we have some of the strongest minds. That's why our scene is one of the best. But this and- is not supposed to be a wrestling-oriented podcast. So stop making me go off subject, Justin. I keep looking at the shirt, man, and hey, we got to plug it. If you want to pick up Straight Talk Wrestling merch, where can they find it, George? Uh, ProWrestlingTees.com, and also I am the brand ambassador for Squared Circle Apparel. Uh, So if you go on the website and order anything they have, they have some great hats, T-shirts, hoodies. They have a great T-shirt, no off-season. I definitely got to get me one of those. You punch in the code Straight Talk, all one word, all small letters, and you save 10% off your order. So. You know, do that. Check it out. And the shirts yeah. are all reasonably priced on Pro Wrestling Tees. $22.95 just because of the way print, printing costs is. I only make like eight, nine bucks a shirt, so I'm not making twenty-two fifty. Uh, I, I know. I know. Just like Gilmy Talks merch, guys, go check out the launch card store. Just saying. <laughs> but we are on number nine, the release of 20, 2019. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This movie, um, I would put it middle of the pack for me. It just did not did not hit. I enjoyed it, but it was not my favorite Taran, Taran, Tarantino film. Maybe maybe because I'm I don't have a movie background like like yourself, it didn't it didn't really uh, click. But please go. Once upon a time in Hollywood was a love letter to Hollywood to everything about the golden era of film. Uh, a lot of people talk about the golden era of film like they know about it. Uh, they don't. Even I, myself, am discovering things. Every time I, I, I go through iTunes, I'm like, fuck yeah, I never watched this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. It's like five bucks. What's the worst that can happen? It sucks. I bought the new Hellboy. It was five bucks. I want my five bucks back. Oh, yeah. Uh, but um, uh, honestly and truly, um, it was a love letter to Hollywood. It was a love letter to everything about uh, a golden period in, in movies when it was all about the actor. 
it's all about the actors stealing the scene. Now it's all about how much special effects can we pack into a movie? And it's not the golden era film. And a lot of, it doesn't, didn't resonate with a lot of people. Uh, it made a great amount of money. It didn't resonate with a lot of people though. Um, in the, uh, it got acclaimed and it got a lot of great feedback from critics because they knew what it was. It was a love letter to Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino with love. Um, but uh, a lot of people were like, oh, there's no special effects. There was no this, there was no that. Yeah, there was a time period in film, guys. Wow, I'm going to blow your fucking minds where it wasn't green screen or blue screen. It was fucking just filming. And oh, yeah. um, people forget that. They forget what golden age films was. And that's what I love about Tarantino. Um, in a time period where everything's oversaturated with special effects, what do we get? We get realism. We get brought back to reality. It's not, it's middle of the pack for me as well but I appreciate it for what it was. And it was a love letter to all of us movie fans out there who just fell in love with film, no matter when you fell in love with film. And if you're one of those people that fell in love with the special effects film, cool. If you're all about the Avengers and you think the Avengers got robbed, why wasn't it nominated for best picture? I can tell you why. Chris Evans will never win a fucking Oscar. Okay, so move the fuck on. The fact is there are other movies better comparable out there. Yes, were the Avengers movies done well? Was the Marvel Cinematic Universe the first phase or second, whatever phase it was, that first go round with everything leading up to the Avengers Endgame and Infinity Wars? It was absolutely breathtaking. As a movie fan, taking my kid with me, watching with the mini host, we went and we loved it. And it was great. It was our dad and daughter things. But um, this was a love letter to everything that was no longer available in movie making anymore. And I appreciate it for what it was. And I understand that it was a love letter and it was, it was loved perfectly. It showed Hollywood in a classic time period. And also the tie in with Charles Manson was fucking brilliant. Uh, and the fact that at the end, Sharon Tate doesn't die. She gets saved by Leonardo DiCaprio and his flamethrower from out of fucking nowhere. Um, great, great movie. And everything about it was uh, enjoyable. I'll put oh, yeah. it in the middle of the pack. So I guess you could say from this discussion, what we've learned is that Death Proof, we both think suck. Yeah. But <laughs> there, are, there are other movies we have to make honorable mentions. Uh, he wrote Natural Born Killers, which was a fantastic oh, yeah. depravity, depravity of ultraviolence. Here, I got the entire the entire list right. At, oh, then I'll just shut the right fuck there. up. Oh, I'll yeah. Shut the fuck up. We have True Romance, which personally I loved. I love that movie. I will still watch it. It came out in 1993. He was the writer of it, and it is a beautiful film. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it is. Natural Born, Born Killers, he was the writer, writer for, the, uh, for the story. And once again, Woody Harrelson, amazing. Amazing performance in, in that movie. I just well, think amazing performance because he had Oliver yeah. Stone behind the camera. Oh, God, yeah. Oliver, yeah. Stone, Oliver Stone stole that movie, not oh, Woody yeah. Harrelson. No, no. See, you can see the director's eye as the filmmaker. Where me, I just see actors, right? Different, different mindset, right? And to Neither. think Woody Harrelson yeah. went from this and he went to play Larry Flint a year later. Yeah. What a jump. Oh, God, yeah. And Woody Harrelson, I just, I love that guy. Love that guy in, it, in pretty much anything. Anything. I love Zombieland 1 and 2. Oh and yeah, he makes he makes the movies for sure. Uh, four, four, four rooms. Uh, okay, so four rooms is actually um, uh, it's four different directors. Oh, okay. Telling four different stories in four different rooms. So every time you go into a room, it's a completely different director. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directs the third room, uh, and Quentin Tarantino directs and stars in the fourth room. Okay. Um, and it's great. But what makes that what connects this movie is the fantastic performance by the amazingly under fucking rated Tim Roth. Tim Roth can play anything. Tim oh, yeah. Roth. If I've, if, if Kevin Smith's Tim Roth is, is fucking uh, what's his name? Fuck's his name. Dude who played Ben Affleck. Yeah. Kevin Smith says Ben Affleck can play anything. I believe Tim Roth can play anything. Four Rooms was dynamite, not based on who the directors were. And they were all the hottest up-and-comers in Hollywood at the time the movie was made. Four Rooms is all about the bedhop, Ted. The bellhop is everything. And Ted steals a show in this movie 150%. The performance of the actor outweighs the amazing four directors that were behind him. Two of them oh, wow. no longer relevant in Hollywood. But the other two, Rodriguez and Tarantino, both still going uh, very strong when they want to. But they're at the point in their life where they don't have to make movies anymore. They choose yeah. to. 
they choose to sprinkle a little bit of love for us here and there. But Four Rooms is definitely, uh, I rank up there as one of the most enjoyable films that I've ever watched in my life. Oh, yeah. And then From Dusk Till Dawn, one of my, like, I am a horror, horror movie fanatic. Oh, hell yeah. That is one of my favorites, hands down. And it just comes out of nowhere. Uh, That's what I love about it, too. Yeah. I love that. And I also love George Clooney. Like, George oh, yeah. Clooney was fucking... That my, my favorite part is that scene where they, they go close up on him like this. I can, hold on, I'm gonna try to see if I can get the shot here. They close up on him like this, right? And he's got the gun hanging over the chair and he's looking at the teller. And he's like, you ask a question, Mr. 44 answered. You make a noise, Mr. 44 makes a noise. And if you ever try to fucking run on us, Mr. 44 has six little friends. You can all run faster than you. I mean, Oh yeah, you just, you just want to fucking kiss him. You want to kiss him and whisper sweet nothings in his ear because yep. it was like yep. the sexiest thing you had ever seen at the time. And again, that's Tarantino dialogue, but directed by Robert Rodriguez. So you add that flair that Rodriguez can bring, and then you fucking like, oh, that movie oh. is warms my heart. You no, know one warms. My I'm heart. I'm going to watch from dust to dawn tonight. That's it. I'm I'm I'm. I'm. I bought it on uh, Blu-ray. I'm going to going to going to hook it up. Going to smoke smoke. Going to smoke it. Well, a little bit of green. Put it on. It'll be amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And I do not hide the fact that I do that on this uh, show. It's in this country perfectly legal. <laughs> That's totally fine. I do it on the odd occasion too, but I'm not really a like weed. Oh. Uh, if I if I smoke more than like three or four tokes, I end up puking in the toilet all night. So I can do okay. a little bit of so, it here and there, uh, but it's all right. uh, don't do do not do that. And like, fuck, man, I've been I've I've been around this stuff since I I was little little and clipping. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> uh, and Sin City from 2005. I really enjoyed Sin 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 Sin, Sin City, but once again, I am a comic book junkie. I read all the movies before. Sorry, read all the books before the movie came out. And the way they filmed that movie, I loved it. Some, some, some people don't. Some people, people say it's, oh, it's too comic booky. It's too this, it's too that. I love that film. I really well, that, did. That, that film was uh, exponentially beautiful. Again, yeah. it, was another, it, was, it was Rodriguez's probably strongest work. And again, Frank Miller was there guiding him every step of the way. Mm -hmm. um, we got the other versions of the film. Like we got uh, like Sin City 2, A Day yeah. to Kill For. That was horrible. The only thing about that movie yeah. that was great was Joseph Gordon-Levitt was very good in a very bad film. Oh, yeah. um, and then we got the other one, the, the Shadow or the Spectre, whatever the fuck it was. can't remember what that one was, but it was in the same universe. Yeah. And that one was bad too. Um, I bought it really excited about it and I took it home and I was like, this is the worst 1999 I ever spent my money on. Yep. And I bought it, I bought it DVD, not digitally. So I just got rid of the DVD after a while, but honestly, and truly, uh, the first Sin city was dynamite. And again, what makes the first Sin city is, um, great direction, but great actors like, yeah, Josh Hartman. And I think the last thing he did Hollywood wise, the beginning, I loved her. I hated her. I'll cash a check in the morning. Yeah, you will, you sexy fucking bastard. Um, <laughs> and same thing with um, what the fuck's his name? Dude from nine and a half weeks. Wait, oh, Mark. God. The fuck's his name? Um, he was in the wrestler too. The fuck's his name? Oh fuck. What the fuck is his yeah, name? Yeah, he was the bad guy in Iron Man 2, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This movie oh. rejuvenated his career for a little bit. What the fuck was his goddamn name? Oh, people are probably screaming it right now, listening to us. Oh god. Oh, look it up quick. Yeah, look it up quick, but that guy. He, uh, <laughs> that guy, he, um, he stole the show for me in that one, uh, in the first one. Actually, I loved everybody. I loved, I loved, uh, it was really, really good. It was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Really fun. Uh, Jessica Alba was gorgeous. Oh, Jessica movie. Alba was amazing in that film. Uh, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Thank you. Mickey Rourke. Oh, Rose, Rosario Dawson, Bruce Willis, Clive Owen. And just the list goes on and on. That movie was, had so many, Oh, yeah, so many fantastic actors in that movie. Benicio Del Toro, Elijah Wood, Brittany Murphy was amazing. That, that's the scene that was directed by Quentin Tarantino inside the car with Clive Owens and Benicio Del Toro's head. Oh, that wow. was the scene directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, because it says special guest director directed a scene. 
Yeah. Like, he, he directed the scene with Clive Owens in the car talking to Benicio Del Toro's head. That was the scene <laughs> that Quentin Tarantino uh, directed. Now I definitely fantastic. see it. Yeah, yeah I definitely see it. You see, see, it, it, right? you oh, see yeah, it in yeah, little, yeah. a little bit of flair. But that Sid City was a great movie. It was a movie that I was very excited about. Uh, when that movie came out, uh, I actually made, I actually was working on my first uh, paid gig. It was a music video for a, a Toronto rap group uh, called The Young Fellas. And uh, it was a song called Thug Like You. And I did the music video and I paid homage to Japanese uh, style film. I did like the Kung Fu shots, like the extreme close-up shots to the face, but I did it in a comedy style. And uh, it was a great first first film. And then they got this new manager and we were supposed to do a part two and it never happened. And I don't know what happened to the band after that. But I, I did a couple of music videos here and there. And um, then uh, my wife got pregnant and I had to get a real big boy job. So I had to put the cameras away. And uh, I have no regrets for that, though, because I got two beautiful, healthy children. And uh, my job's okay. I have good and bad days. Uh, oh, yeah. But podcasting and everything keeps me going. And... I like that I became a podcaster. I had my kids real, not really young, but young. Like I got married young. I I want wanted my own family for reasons I'm not going to discuss now. But I wanted my own family, and I'm like I was a musician way back way back when. Uh, toured a little bit, played played a little bit. Not going to drop any old band names on the air because i don't want you guys searching that shit because it's in the past <laughs> that's about it you want to find it you you guys can go go internet digging digging out for it but it was creative people do creative things no matter what their age man that's it absolutely like, I'm so happy I started the podcast because I get to meet and do things like this. I can have conversation a bit about movies. I can talk to cosplayers, wrestlers, uh, podcasters. I can talk to like-minded people. I can talk to different people. I can have discussions about politics. I can talk about anything, anything I want. People invite me on their podcast as a special guest, which blows my fucking mind some days still that they think I'm special softball to george okay <laughs> you know what honestly man um it just uh i definitely um so i, I had another side podcast that I was doing with a uh, uh another podcaster uh i'm gonna leave the name off the table but uh for reasons that is still a head scratcher for me i got a text message saying that i uh, couldn't commit fully anymore we're gonna have to shelve the show why do i have to shelve the show you walked away. I don't have to shelve it. I was thinking about it for a long time. Maybe I should shelve it. And then uh, Ryan Knight actually reached out to me from Knights of the Squared Circle. And he's like, you know what? If you're looking for a guest host, uh, I'm available. And I was like, if you can watch this week's Fusion, let's discuss it. And I did. And some of the comments on YouTube were amazing. Uh, they were like, you know, please keep doing these. We love these. This is a great rundown for us. And then I got a comment from Alex Hammerstone himself on the YouTube page, which I took a screenshot and I shared. And it said, thanks for the support, gentlemen. And it's like, you know what? We're doing something here. It's a great product, and uh, I'm not going to say they got the Vice TV, TV deal because of what we were doing in MLW Rewind, but uh, we had a lot of fun, oh, and yeah. um, I'm going to keep it going now with a guest host every week, so I was actually softball with Justin. <laughs> I was actually going to say that I have this week's upcoming episode guest host covered. I have two weeks from now upcoming guest host covered, but three weeks from now, I have a slot open. If you can record on either Friday evening or Saturday morning so I can edit it and get it out by Sunday morning, great. Let me know. I always want to record later in the week so we both have enough time to watch Fusion. And that's all you got to do. You just got to watch that week's Fusion. So three weeks from now, if you want to come on MLW Rewind, I'd love to have you. And I will I will certainly accept and say yes. We will make it work, whether it's a Friday evening, Saturday morning, might be a... Might be a coffee MLW rewind before work on on uh, on uh, that day, and I will graciously and humbly accept and say thank you for having for for inviting me on because it's we always have fun. Absolutely, <laughs> we have fun. And, oh, yeah. uh, well, are you older than me or younger than me? Uh, I'm forty. You? Yes, thirty-eight. Fuck you. You're the oldest man. <laughs> on the yes, yes. See, but which one of us looks older, George? Which one of us uh, looks definitely older? Definitely not me, bro. 
Oh, okay. I'm, I'm young. <laughs> I'm adorable. Look at these fucking dimples. You can't say oh, yeah. shit about these dimples. <laughs> you look, you look like you crawled out of the earth 17 times. You probably died 18 <laughs> times. But you only you're the you're the podcaster of a thousand deaths. Whereas oh, me, on the other hand, if I shave this off, mm-hmm. shit, bro. I look like I'm fucking 31. Oh yeah. I can definitely, definitely see it. Well, you can actually grow one. So this took like six years. It oh. hasn't grown since, but I just keep shaving around it. Like I just keep shaving. Around it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I I can do the goatee, but I have the the Frenchman stash, so I don't grow hair here. It just oh, okay. looks like like. I look like a butler. You did that, by the way, you gave me the middle finger. So fuck oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can't grow hair here. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I forget it. You're not welcome on MLW. Oh, I can forget it. Apologies, sir. Apologies. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's no, all love, though, man. All love. But I am going to let you let we'll let you go and we'll enjoy your night thank you very very much for the for the for the for the time man it's always fun and once again if they want to find you work work where can they find you uh straight talk wrestling on instagram and facebook uh at underscore straight talk on twitter i always forget the at or the underscore so yes underscore straight talk on twitter uh on youtube uh, straight talk wrestling 287 subscribers i'm like 13 away from 300 i'd love to hit that milestone before excuse me before my 200th episode that would be great and um yeah keep an eye out i got some great content coming up i don't when's this dropping uh this will probably be dropping tuesday tuesday next week okay so i can say so i got billy starks coming up this thursday um but next week next week is cool man next week for my 50th vidcast and my 195th episode i have my first ever three-time returning guest uh, oh, wow. Bubblegum Princess is back for the third time with me. Alexia Nicole, love her to death. Uh, she is one of the coolest uh, ladies in the business. She's tough as nails. She's easy to talk to. And also she can bitch slap all your teeth out of your mouth. She is fucking phenomenal. She is one I picked uh, years ago when we started the show as my one to watch. And she has delivered on everything. And uh, when, when the world opens back up to normal and she can travel and Canadians can get through all that bullshit red tape to work in the States, she's going to make some waves. And I can't wait to see what she does. Because oh, she yeah. is, she is one of the humblest and nicest, and just she's like my little sister, man. Uh, but oh, I'm yeah. afraid of her. I'm afraid of her because I know she can beat the crap out of me. She can suplex us both and fireman carry us both. Which she's only five, five, five feet tall, and that's a scary, scary idea. Get Samoan drop me with probably one hand, and I would be like, damn. Like I was telling her, I, I, I don't like her workout videos because she sits there and she puts like 400 pounds on her legs, and she just, her, she lifts it with her hips, and I'm like. I can't even lift 50 pounds with one arm. And you're going to go ahead and do this with your hips? Like, <laughs> stop showing off. No, she is a phenomenal person, and she's yes. a sweetheart, and I love her to death, and she is one of my uh, one of my good friends and one and, of the coolest people that I've met in this business. And anyone who – my own personal story with her, I've never had her on the show because I've just never asked. That's it. I know she would say yes within a second. 100%. Just, oh, yeah. Well, well, I know she would. But – my my story with her when my little girl's seen her she took the time to actually have a conversation with them it wasn't like hey how's it how's it going okay here you, you want to buy a shirt no she goes down ask ask the uh, questions that little girls like like because not every little girl likes wrestling my girls do and she they she talked to them them well, about it which was awesome and anyone who's nice, nice, nice to my kids, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of theirs for life. So, it's so that's the, all I got to do for you to you and I to stop being friends. <laughs> say something. Your kids suck. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> and on that note, go 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 check out straight straight talk wrestling, guys. Uh, much love, brother. Much love. Much love. Oh yeah. Man. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you for sure. Hey guys, thanks for listening all the way through. I just want to say. Thank you to George for coming on, talking movies with me. That was really, really fun. And just a couple things, guys. I want you to go check out all my friends on the OIW Podcast Network, the Johnners Podcast Network, and the CWN Network. I'm affiliated with all those guys, and they have wonderful shows. Actually, I just saw uh, Chris Maloney just interviewed Greg 
Oliver, which I'm really looking forward to seeing that one, guys, on CWN. And I just want want to say say again, go check out BatsInTheBelfryArt.com. Go check out Doing Fine Kitchen. He is starting to pop up again and again and again. So go follow him on Instagram if you're around London, guys. He just had a, an event at Forked River Brewing, I think it's called, and he did walleye, walleye at tacos, and it went over very, very well. Wish I could have went, but, you know, life. And if you need any graphic design work, guys, go check out Rob Day 59 Wonderful guy and wonderful work. And this week's called call to action, just plain and simple. Tell a loved one they mean something to you. That's it. And I will talk to you guys in a few days, a week. I got some uh, good shows coming up. I have Sabrina Kyle recorded. I have Jeremy Prophet recorded. Recording with pretty pretty Ricky Wildey this, this week. So, for the people who listened all all the way through, that's a little heads up. What's uh, what's uh, coming in? And once again, thank you very much to your boy George Mackay from Straight Talk Wrestling. Fantastic dude. Love talking talking to him anytime. And thanks for coming on on George. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye guys. Hey.